So, John, I know you can be overwhelmed and you can be underwhelmed, but can you ever just be whelmed? If we're referring to the Falcon Winter Soldier, I would say I'm slightly above whelmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm there. Uh, my whole my whole weekend is summed up in that quote very well. Yeah, it, it, that, that's actually from Ten Things I Hate About You. I just hmm. thought it was a, it was pretty fitting. Yeah. Um, but welcome to Infinity Watchers, everybody. I'm Jared. He's John, and we're in for a very chaotic week. I'll say. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're going to be offsetting uh we we had a bit of a change in schedule uh over the over our off time we decided to change our sue storm fan casting to our, our doom casting this week and you and i both have some pretty interesting pits apparently i think so yeah i mean i don't I, we don't know what each other's picks are but i had a lot of fun putting my list together and we're going to go through a top five each, but mm-hmm. I I shuffled those five around all week since yeah, I decided been, this is what we we're going to do. I've been playing around with mine too for the past few hours, and I only have five. I don't, they're, they, my five are my top five, but mm-hmm. I've been, uh, there's one that I'm like very intrigued about. I was, I was, yeah. pr- I hate to talk, talk about myself, but I was proud of myself for coming up with this one. Nice. I, it, I highly I, doubt. It's, it's gonna throw everything into absolute chaos <laughs> i love it we i i highly doubt we have any overlap uh, it's possible since we each picked five mm-hmm. um but we're we're gonna we're gonna hit that after the news segment and you know and then we'll dive into our kind of our wrap-up episode for the falcon and the winter soldier talking about the season finale our thoughts on the show as mm-hmm. a whole um so i'm really really excited to get into that it's this show gave us a lot to talk about. That's for sure. Yeah, it was a good. I know we joked about before how there was a lot to talk about the show, and it was a good starting point to start a podcast on. Yes, but I mean, it really did give us a good introduction to this whole process. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it, it was varied. It was a lot of fun to, you know, we we only had Wandavision as far as MCU TV goes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, official MCU TV, not so much like Agents of Shield and. The Netflix uh, defenders stuff, but with this, it really gave us a sense of what the majority of the MCU shows are going to be like going mm-hmm. forward. You know, like WandaVision kind of is its own little uh, hex, pretty much <laughs> own little bubble, own little world there. Pun intended. Um, yeah. So I, I'm I'm excited to see what what they have to offer going forward. This is just. You know, I had a lot of fun talking about this every week with you. You know, yeah. I found myself as soon as I watched the episode, I'm like, oh boy, I can't wait to can't Got wait a to lot to go about over this. this week. Yeah. I have Definitely. a feeling Loki's going to be even crazier to do that with. Oh, I'm so excited for that. <laughs> so excited. There's going to be speculation run rampant. That one's on just going to be that one is going to be so fun. So fun. So speaking of the end of the Falcon Winter Soldier, why don't we kick off with one of the announcements from this week? Yeah. That Cap 4 is now in, has been confirmed by Malcolm Spellman, and he's returning to write with Dallin Masson. D- oh, Dallin right. Masson. He, he wrote episode five, right? Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming back. I, I mean, I had my, I know I had my gripes with that episode, but overall, the great character work in general. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I, there's really no, word on 
where this movie's going to go or what direction they're going to take the character in from here on out. If Bucky's going to come back as the main character, if Zima's going to come back or how, what they're possibly setting up or what the next progression is. But just to know that there's a cap four in the works with at this point with Anthony Mackie as Captain America. Yeah. And I'm really, really excited for this. I was kind of thinking, you know, with the, the end of this series kind of showing the tagline Captain America and the Winter Soldier, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that was going to be the season two, right? Yeah. But to know that they're actually making Captain America four and giving Mackie his due as Captain America, it's going to be so cool to see that on the big screen. Yeah. And I think there's a couple, you know, things, things in this episode that set that up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of where they're building all of the Val. Don't call her Val only in her head, only in your head. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> where they're taking all the Val stuff with John Walker. It, it would be cool to see Cap go up against like a Thunderbolts or Dark Avengers or something. That would be like how like how they could be used in Spider-Man No Way Home to set up the Sinister Six. They use Cap 4 to set up Dark Avengers mm-hmm. or the Thunderbolts. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things they could do with this. And this almost makes me wonder about the rumors a few months ago that pretty reliable sources reporting that Chris Evans was coming back for an MCU movie and kind mm-hmm. of like a mentor role. I almost wonder if this those were true and this is it. With Evans or without Evans, I'm still insanely excited based on this episode yeah. to see Mackie as Captain America because he, oh my goodness, <laughs> Sam as Cap was awesome, I thought. Yeah. We'll get into our thoughts on that a little bit later, but just to know that he's coming back, it's it's me extremely excited, at least. Yep, me too. Speaking of things that get us extremely excited, we have another casting for Secret Invasion. Man, every week we get a bombshell (laughs) for this series, don't we? Every week, it seems like there's something new, and it's always like an A-list actor, too. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. And our latest one is the Khaleesi herself. Amelia Clark. I'm just really excited about this. I, <laughs> I, you know, for all the problems that I had with the last season of Game of Thrones, you know, her, her acting wasn't one of them. <laughs> yeah. I think she's a fantastic actress. You know, her character kind of went off the rails a little bit towards the end, but that's not on her. That's she, yeah. She, I, I think she is incredibly charismatic. I really liked her in Solo. Um, mm-hmm. And she was almost primed to be in the MCU at some point in the future. Yeah. We talked about that last week with some actors that just seem like they're destined for the MCU. We, we mentioned like Kit Harrington is one. We didn't mention her, but no. she's in that category of you look at all the other game of Thrones alums that have made it in the MCU, Peter Dinklage, mm-hmm. um, Kit Harrington, Richard Madden. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they clearly, you know, pay attention to that show. So they, I think there are a number of, um, number of people from that, show in that series that could end up in the mcu and you know seeing amelia clark as the next one gets me really excited Mm -hmm. so looking at her her casting i i threw a couple names out that i think she could potentially be playing yeah you have a better handle on this than i do so i'll let you take it from here yeah so i mean there are there are three bigger names that i could see her playing um uh, there's Queen Varanki or Varank or something like I don't know exactly how to spell it, but or how to say it. But um, it's basically the Skrull queen that um, kicks off Secret Invasion and kind of the the main villain of that that comic. So I could see her in that role. 
Um, I, I really do feel, however, that Olivia Coleman would be a better fit for that role. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, both, both Amelia and Olivia are known for playing Queens. So right. I kind of feel like one of them is going to be in that role. Another one potentially, and I, the, the rights to this one are a little bit murky for me, but I could see her playing Jessica Drew, uh, AKA spider woman. Now this is interesting because there is at Sony and uh, a movie directed by Olivia Wilde in the works uh, and rumored to be around Spider Woman, but Olivia Wilde mentioned for her movie she met with Feige. Uh huh. And I, I I do remember hearing about this that she was that Olivia Wilde was working on that. Yeah. But so I mean it could be possible that comes out before this and Amelia's playing Jessica Drew and ends up in that in that role. Um, well, does Jester? I don't I don't know much about the Secret Invasion storyline. Does Jester Drew have an actual tie to? secret invasion or yeah she okay. actually is the the hero that uh, oh queen varanki impersonates on earth <laughs> oh okay well yeah that would... so, i mean I, it it could be any hero in the mcu like they don't have to adapt it one for one mm-hmm. but you know looking at that storyline jessica drew being a big character that's kind of rumored to appear soon in either a sony movie or a marvel movie so from what i understand as far as the rights go jessica drew is heavily affiliated with like shield in the comics she's a shield agent but she's also a spider woman but at the same time i think the rights to the character are kind of murky to where marvel could use jessica drew in a movie as jessica drew the shield agent but they can't call her spider woman so it's it's essentially their same issue with universal and the hulk is they sort of. they, they can't make they can use hulk in certain in the MCU, they can use Bruce Banner, they, they can use the Hulk, but they can't make an actual Hulk film. Yes, in a sense. Like, they... they. <laughs> I think it's even weirder than that, because I, I think, based on what I've read about the rights, Marvel, if they wanted to make a Jessica Drew movie and call it Jessica Drew, they could do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if they wanted to make a Bruce Banner movie, they couldn't, I don't think. So, I, I, universal. maybe a better comparison to this would have been pre Disney Fox acquisition with mutants being able yeah. to use uh, yeah. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, but not be able to use their names directly. And not be able to call them mutants. And not be able to call them mutants. Yeah, it's exactly like that. From what I read, I don't. I don't really know. I, I hope the character ends up in a way like ends up in the MCU in a way similar to Spider-Man. Right. Well, like we did. Just... We did get another piece of news that we forgot to put on our outline that uh, Disney just acquired the rights to put uh, the Spider-Man movies on Disney plus mm, right. Sony, Sony and Disney just came to a deal this week. Interesting timing. <laughs> yeah. Given Very. their, their, I, I, I really think that is, <laughs> you know, fueled by the, the spider verse live mm-hmm. action movie we're getting in december with no way home right yeah they want Seem- people to have access to those movies to catch up seems too coincidental yeah for sure right as the, the marketing's probably about to ramp up for that movie i think it's you know i think it's pretty pretty obvious what they're doing there um but yeah i i think jessica drew is inevitable in the mcu she has a really tight relationship with um, carol danvers as well mm-hmm. and showing up in like a lot of her stories and stuff in the comics. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could see Amelia Clark in that role and mm-hmm. doing that role really well. And then the third name I have is uh, Abigail Brand, 
So she's um, basically the director of Sword in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a mutant, though, so I don't know if they would just remove that aspect of her character or wait till we have mutants to get that character. But she, um, you know, just kind of a, a badass warrior character affiliated with like she's kind of like a rival to captain marvel a little bit okay in ways so that could that could be a cool dynamic to see play out a little bit um but we'll see i'm i'm really excited i kind of feel like she's either jessica drew or abigail brand i'm leaning toward abigail brand i think that's the most like likely yeah when by the way you're describing these characters uh olivia coleman sounds almost like a dead-on uh queen uh Varanke, mm-hmm. um and I'm leaning toward more uh, Abigail Brand for Amelia Clark. Same. Yeah, really excited. Either Je- way, Jessica that... Drew might be a good fan casting to do down the road then, yeah, too. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we will. We'll put her on the list. Uh, this series is so intriguing to me <laughs> with all of the talent they, ha- they mm-hmm. have in it. And you have to think that, you know, we're getting uh, Monica Rambeau as well, based on the spoilers. Uh, for WandaVision, the post-credit scene of that series, it's gonna be it's gonna be really exciting. I think. I mean, the cast so far, we have Kingsley Benadir, Amelia Clark, Olivia Coleman, Ben Mendelsohn, Samuel L. Jackson. I, that's a that's a pretty strong lineup for just a TV series. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing Secret Invasion, you have to think that. There's going to be at least one like A to B list character in there to, you know, fuel the, oh no, they were a scroll for mm-hmm. the last three appearances of them or something like that. It, it can't be so self-contained, I think, to be just like new, new characters. So I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with that. Not to mention the executive producer on it is Kyle Bradstreet, who was the executive right. producer of Mr. Robot. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Yeah. So if yeah, you there's want like a like a, a paranoia thriller show, like that's that's a really good uh, showrunner to grab for sure. <laughs> <laughs> At, oh, I'm, I, the more yeah, the more news we get about this, the more excited I get for it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the way casting's ramping up, it almost seems like they're going to start production soon, right? Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. To recap on a story we covered last week, uh, Russell Crowe joining Thor Love and Thunder. We got a confirmation of who he's playing this week. Yeah, spoilers and... if you don't want to know because it was not officially announced. He he mentioned it in passing on a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah, clip he's... spread around online. So He said he was biking up to the studio to film his his cameo. Essentially, uh-huh. he, he mentioned it was a cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he confirmed he is playing Zeus in Thor Love and Thunder. And I just, the only thing I can think of is that they purposely cast Russell Crowe, an A-list actor, just for him to be killed off for 30 seconds. No doubt. Like, I that mean, is... You, the, the villain the... is Gore the God Butcher. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, He's how essentially... many gods do we know of right now in the MCU that are alive? Thor. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. we have Thor, so... There has to be a god. I doubt Thor is going to die, so there has to be a god that can get butchered. <laughs> and, and who who better to to get butchered than uh, Russell Crowe, who was one Jarrell? Yeah, that's in just... <laughs> in in, uh, in Superman or Man of Steel, and he was Maximus from Gladiator. Yeah, like 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this is such a perfect cast, and that I I I just get so giddy anytime I hear news about this production. Yeah, uh, I did some reading on it, and the amount of the amount of work that's gone into the script is just blowing my mind. It, I think the way Taika described it was we thought of it as a ten year old writing a movie, and anytime they would ask a question, we just said yes. <laughs> Uh, so he's just going all out on this and i oh, i'm incredibly excited for this it's gonna be so good the fact that gore is essentially kratos yeah makes me mm-hmm. ecstatic yeah and <laughs> i hope they take some of the jor-el dialogue and just put it in like a speech of <laughs> zeus talking to hercules or something <laughs> <laughs> that'd be really like really funny <laughs> we'll see the whole the whole greek parthenon just get absolutely wrecked in the first five minutes yeah do you think they'll announce a casting for hercules if, if he's in it if he's in this movie he wouldn't i don't think he would die <laughs> it's hard to say because that he's like a pretty a fairly prominent character in the comics yeah an avenger and stuff not not the same level quite as Thor. Maybe Thor pre MCU. Actually, I don't know about that, but but yeah, I I'm just so excited about this movie. <laughs> it's just going to be insane. So our last uh, quick story we have here is that Hawkeye wrapped filming. So good news. I mentioned last week. I'm we're going to call out when things stop filming <laughs> now because it's a in the era of COVID. It's it's an achievement. Yeah, another production down. Yep. And it's expected to come out later this year. So we're looking at around a seven month turnaround at this point from yep. wrapping production to when it's released. I've seen some places have estimated it'll be it'll be around November that we see this. Either November or December. So seven to eight months post production and marketing. I mean it seems like Marvel just has a has a factory going of churning out uh production marketing materials and and as well as post-production yeah Uh, like literally within a year of each other and it's all quality content um speaking of that quick turnaround cycle though i was telling john off air yesterday i we were supposed to record yesterday today's monday uh but some stuff came up and the oscars were last night so i i I was going to sit and watch that instead uh Mm -hmm. because for personal reasons and because um, there might've been some news that came out of that regarding our podcast. Um, the one thing that we kept predicting would happen, but hasn't happened yet is that we were going to get an Eternals trailer of, or preview of some sort from that because Chloe Zhao has been talked up, hyped up to be, to win best director. She's won best director at all of these, at all of the award shows and, the one last night as well. Nomadland won Best Picture as well. And uh, Frances McDormand won Best Actress for Nomadland as well. So it, it got some critical acclaim last night. And I was really expecting to see some sort of announcement or trailer for the Eternals based on that. Or at least today we would see. Yeah. Like you would think Marvel might have something at least preempted and just to drop in a frame saying from Academy Award winning director Chloe Zhao but there's nothing out there. And I was doing some reading yesterday and Gemma Chan said specifically that the production on the Eternals 
was so much different than what she experienced on Captain Marvel. Like they basically gave Zhao the a blank check and said, "Run with it." When Fidey has even said that this has been one of the best pitches he's ever heard for one of these stories. Yeah, and both Nomadland and Eternals were in production around the same time, so it's so the the style of Nomadland has influenced a lot of what the Eternals is, and I'm really genuinely excited to see what that produces because her stuff is very I, I mentioned this before but her stuff is very slow and meditative mm-hmm. uh it's she shot everything almost everything on location um on wide vistas and landscapes so, and her color palette's very muted so i'm curious what they're going to do with that but it's always it's very uh personal and contemplative as well so it the Eternals itself doesn't sound like the best place to do that, but I, I have my full faith in, in what she's able to accomplish with this. It's going to be exciting. I think like going the contemplative route is, is the best way to do it. You know, like mm-hmm. I, especially with the cast that they have, like I want to explore these characters. I want to know what, what they're all about, what makes them tick. And I'm not that interested in the action. Like I, I'm excited to see what it's going to be like, but for me, it's like, these are the oldest beings, I think, maybe older than like Odin and Thor that we've seen in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Like, what have they seen? What do they have to talk about? Like, I just want to know that, like, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> say, in the same vein as Oscar wins, uh, there were a few MCU alum that got recognized last night as well. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya won Best Supporting Actor for his portrayal of Fred Hampton and Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. Absolutely blowout performance. Deserved every every ounce of that award and every award he's won since. Um, but I gotta say, I think he was wasted in the MCU. We were talking about this before we went on. He, I mean, he's in Black Panther and he's in kind of a throwaway role. Yeah, at least to me. Yeah, I mean, he did, he didn't have a prominent. I mean, like he he they didn't explore his character as much. I think he had a prominent plot role. Yeah, but they didn't really explore much about him. Right, and I would I would like to see I would like to see him stick stick around, but if his character doesn't um, get any more screen time, then I can't see him wanting to or any more development. I can't see him wanting to stick around anymore, unless he signed on already. Maybe. You know how they are with their like multiple picture deals. Uh, yeah, that's that, too. that's very true too. Oh, he's Wakabi. Yeah, they could have they, they could have looked and been like, okay, we have this upcoming actor. Let's lock him in for three films. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very uh, possible as I well. I didn't think about not, that till now, but and there's also that the Wakanda Disney Plus series that's uh, they, out they, eventually. They could use him to explore that world a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Though I almost wonder if they use Io and Zemo in that one a bit. That could be. You think there. Zemo? Possibly. Depends. Okay. If he gets out, it could be them hunting him down again or something. I don't know. Uh, so Daniel Kaluuya won for best supporting actor, and then uh, the final award that was given last night. So this is this is what I'm talking about when I say my weekend was kind of whelmed. <laughs> was <laughs> so it's it's tradition every year for the Oscars to get best picture last. It's always like the big award of the night. It's the one that gets the headlines every year. Yeah. Uh, but they did it third to last this year. 
Nomadland won. That was predicted. And then Best Actress was given out. There was no front runner for it. Frances McDormand won it. And then Best Actor was given. And every outlet, every pundit, almost everybody has unanimously believed that Chadwick Boseman would win a posthumous Oscar for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So Joaquin Phoenix comes out. It's also a tradition that the winner of the previous year presents the current or presents the award for the current year. Joaquin Phoenix won last year for Joker comes out. He kind of stumbles over his speech and gives this really awkward. Uh, I am not a character actor type speech. Um, and so he starts reading through the names. Anthony Hopkins isn't there. He's he's out in Wales. Uh, he didn't. Uh, Everybody that attended the Oscars from out of the country was required to come into the country quarantined for 10 days. For the past week, he's been all around Europe, so it was obvious he wasn't coming. (laughs) Chadwick Boseman, for obvious reasons, was not there. So when they were showing all the nominees, there were two pictures that came up. It was Anthony Hopkins, Chadwick Boseman, and then three other nominees who were there, who were Gary Oldman from Mank, Stephen Yen from Minari, and Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. I'm glad they're all getting their due. Gary Oldman won a couple of years ago, but I'm glad to see see I'm glad to see Stephen Yen and Riz Ahmed get recognized. But it was obvious, at least apparently obvious, that Chadwick Boseman was going to win posthumously. Anthony Hopkins has only won one other time, mm-hmm. and that was for Best Supporting Actor for Silence of the Lambs. So this would be essentially a legacy award for him, right? And it is a very great performance, what he did in The Father. It it actually made me legitimately cry. But at the end of the night, Joaquin Phoenix does his speech, reads off the names, and Anthony Hopkins wins. And I, the whole, you could tell the energy of the show just deflated immediately. Really? Because at least I had the expectation of, well, okay, they gave away Best Picture, they gave away... Uh, best actress, which was a, which wasn't a contended race, but then I thought, well, okay, if Chadwick Boseman wins, we at least get this riveting speech from his wife, uh, and about the past year or yeah. about his legacy, et cetera, et cetera. And Anthony Hopkins wins, and Joaquin Phoenix accepts it on his behalf because he's not there. <laughs> so <laughs> the whole the whole show just kind of deflated and. Grant, these are both MCU alum with Anthony, Anthony Hopkins being uh, Odin, <laughs> being Odin, and Chadwick Boseman obviously being T'Challa. But it just it hurt me a little bit that Boseman will never have a chance at this again. Yeah. And I mean, Hopkins at the same time probably doesn't, given that he's 83 years old. Yeah. I, I personally, I shouldn't be upset at this, but just given because it is a well deserved award for the performance Hopkins gives as somebody with dementia and it just, I don't think you should have lost either way. I think it was just, there was so much anticipation building up to Bozeman winning posthumously that it just feels so anticlimactic. Yeah. Especially having the award last. Yeah. So yeah, that that's why I'm a little, I, I that's why I feel a little whelmed and <laughs> why when I was rearranging my doom casting, I decided to, just go all out on the chaos. one. Yeah, I chose chaos today. Anthony Hopkins, number one. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of that, you want to get into our fan casting? Yeah, then? let's get into our doom casting. I changed my list as we were talking. <laughs> oh, boy. 
All right. All right. You want to go first? Why don't I tell you the two I removed from my list as we're talking? Okay. So you have seven. I have seven. Okay. Okay. I'll just quickly hit my two. Okay. Ryan Gosling. Okay. And Pedro Pascal. Okay. I'd have neither of those on mine. Okay. So those are the two I hit. They're in... They're in for a few others, but they're okay. they're not in there for Doom at all. Okay, I I thought it'd be interesting, you know, especially with Ryan Gosling like playing that villain character would be cool. Um, so let me hit my number five, and you give me your number five. Okay. Okay, my number five is very similar in in my thinking to Ryan Gosling. Um, I have Chris Pine. Okay. So I have getting, him somewhere else. Getting to the, you know, the other uh, Hollywood Chris. <laughs> Getting yes. him in the MCU, I he's very much almost always in a heroic type role in these blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very charismatic, which I think you need for Doom. And I don't know, this it, it just seems like it would be a fun fun thing to see him do. And I've always wanted to see him in the MCU, but I don't really want to see him as a hero because he he does that too much. Well, then we have all four Hollywood Chris's in the MCU. Exactly. Well, we did until Evans just kind of died. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's on the moon. He'll be. Back. Yeah, he's on the moon. Um, no, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I, I, I had him in mind. I actually, I had him down listed under Doom, and then moved him somewhere else. I think he would be better okay. off as another character. Interesting. All right, who's your number five? So my number five. We talked about this off air, and he was somebody I missed as Richards, and and. Part of my criteria for putting uh, for putting these together is how how is the Doom and Richards dynamic. relationship and dynamic going to work? Because they are they're meant to be very and like right like sort of meant, rivals, but like, they're meant to parallel each other but be rivals at the same time. Yeah, and i I thought about this guy as uh, as a Richards after we did our casting, but uh-huh. Mark Hamill. He's a lot older. It'd oh. be a much older Reed Richards slash Victor Von Doom, but I could it it would have to be a very hammy Fantastic Four or very uh, corny like casting of ah uh, ah uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but it would have to be an almost over the top version of that film, mm-hmm. and I I don't think they're going to go that far, especially with what Fox has done the past decade with that franchise. Mm-hmm. Actually, the entire time they've held the rights to that franchise, it's been nothing but corny and hammy, but yeah. and campy, or but grim dark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> but other than other than that one, um, I think he's he's very well due to be in the MCU at some point, and I think he'd be a great campy Doom. Nice. I like the casting. I like it a lot. Okay. Number four. My my number four is Dan Stevens. So Dan Stevens um, has a history with Marvel, actually Fox Marvel, but he played David Haller on Legion. Um, okay. He also was um, the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> underneath I... all that makeup. But um, he he's a fantastic actor. I think he would he would really kill he was in this role. <laughs> Eurovision, okay, yeah, I I do know who yeah who it is you're talking about as well. Yep, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I he has I could, kind of like an intensity to him, and he does. I could you see know, it would be a decent age to to stick around for a while too. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see it. Um, yeah, you're right. He's got that intensity, and he has some uh, some 
he can do comedy as well. So yeah, I, he's a little all over the place. So I, I mm-hmm. like that. I really like yep. that. That's actually a really good pick. I oh, <laughs> oh, I think you might blow the rest of mine out of the water. I can't take full credit for this one because I have seen it around a little bit. It's not like a, you know, a Krasinski Reed Richards thing like like yeah. that is. But I've I've seen him fan cast his doom, and I normally like to kind of think on my own for these. But I once I saw that I couldn't get it out of my head. No, no. Like, now that I see <laughs> now that I see him and know what he can do, I yeah, I can't stop thinking about that either. Have, I like. Have that. you watched Legion? I haven't. I need to. Oh my to. goodness! I, I I've only seen the first season, but it is it's fantastic. It's a lot, you know. It has kind of similar vibes to Wandavision. Like it's very surreal. Um, the funny, funnily enough, Noah Hawley. This is probably where these came from. Noah Hawley is the um, showrunner of Legion, and he under Fox was attached to do a Doctor Doom movie. That's right. I, I remember you telling me about that before. And so that that's probably where this fan casting was born, honestly. Um but yeah, I it it's very good. Another incredible actress and that is Aubrey Plaza, which I'm mm-hmm. trying to find a role for her. It it has to be something like very specific and quirky sort of. But I've got, I've my, got she one is, in mind. She is unbelievable in Legion. It's Again, crazy. that's what I keep hearing. I just haven't had, I just haven't had a chance to start it. It's worth a watch. It's yeah, worth a watch. All okay. right, your number four. Let's hear. Okay, it. my number four. So another thing I've been trying to keep in mind was I, based on how Daniel Brühl has been in both Civil War and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I've been trying to think of Eastern European actors to throw in there. I have a and, feeling I know where this one's going. Do you? Maybe so, so one one that kept popping to mind, and this is this is somebody who brings a lot of intensity to any role he's in. He's a German actor, uh, Till Schweiger. Oh, uh, he's no he's best known for be, playing Hudo Stieglitz in Inglorious Bastards. He, you've probably seen him as a henchman and other things in America. He's a, he's a very well known German actor, producer, and writer. I think it would be a good chance to really bring him into the mainstream consciousness i think this guy he's he's a lot older um but i think he he would bring a lot of intensity to this role oh interesting yeah i don't i i can't say i'm familiar yeah but um i'll have to look out for him next time i'm watching glorious bastards yeah and he he has a very prominent introduction in in glorious bastards as well Mm. this is one where uh they say, do you know anything about Hugo Stieglitz? And the German officer goes, everybody in the German army knows Hugo Stieglitz. And it gives oh, like yeah. the, big, the big background introduction. The one mm-hmm. turns, it basically turns heel on the Nazis. Yeah, I remember now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when you said um, Daniel Brühl, I immediately went to Inglorious Bastards. And then you started talking about German actors. And I was thinking Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I, he was, uh, you know, you know, I thought about that. I did early, too. Earlier not today. on my list, but. I thought about that earlier today and I I couldn't bring myself to do it. He's too he's too I weasley. Guess. Oh, okay. Yeah. To, for, for me for him. I, he he should be in here at some point. Yeah. But yeah, to me he's the too The age was what held me back. Like I can too. see it, but he's like 65 and yeah, I, I, mean, I just think they need to go a little little bit younger with Doom. To, I mean, Hamill's that a... Hamill's that old too. Yeah, so it um but yeah, you're right. The age and to me, the his personality is just a little too. Granted, Waltz can do just about anything you you put him in. 
Yeah. But that would be interesting. All right. My number three, Justin Thoreau. Okay. Okay. So, so go ahead. So he, he's um, probably right now most well-known for the leftovers um, where he starred as Kevin Garvey. Mm-hmm. But you know he has he has ties to the MCU already, given he, he wrote Iron Man too. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is an interesting interesting fact. But um, the you know Marvel's known to mine the leftovers for their talent with you know, MCU legends Christopher Eccleston and Liv Tyler being in the <laughs> series. <laughs> Wait, they, Liv that, Tyler? That was yeah, Liv Tyler's in it. Oh my god, I forgot about the incredible. Oh, you're Hulk. just you forgot about where she was in the MCU. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. I completely forgot about the incredible. That Hulk. movie happened. <laughs> Preview of our rating show next week. Is <laughs> <last>. <laughs> anyway, I, I have it last, and Jared forgot to rank it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my rankings. I just forgot about yeah. it, as you said, where um, Liv Tyler was from. But, yeah, that's why I said MCU legend. <laughs> I forget that Christopher Eccleston was. Malekith. <laughs> Everybody does. Because I almost put him in this list and had to think back and realize that he was in it already. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Justin Throw is incredible in that series. Um, Carrie Coon, also in that series, Proxima Midnight in uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, he, he just uh, does a fantastic job in that series. He's charismatic. Um, he's been in comedic roles before. I, I just think he kind of has a commanding presence that would be an interesting interesting doom it, it it could be it could end up being too similar to the the doom from the the tim story fantastic four films um because he kind of has the same type of uh demeanor as um what was the what's the actor i don't even doom? i don't even remember his name julian mcmahon yeah it, he kind of has a similar um demeanor to julian mcmahon so i don't know um, but yeah, I just think that would be interesting. Okay. Who's your number three? Ready for the world to implode? Yeah. So this is something that I thought of that might upset some people. Oh, but boy. when I dropped this cast in my head, I couldn't get it out. So I was still thinking of German actors or Eastern European actors. And another glorious bastards casting, I couldn't get out of my head was what if, what if, hear me out on this, and I'm sticking to this, just I really want to see how this would go. We gender-swapped Victor Von Doom Ooh. and did Victoria Von Doom. Okay. Diane, Diane Kruger, who was Bridget Von Hammerschmark in Inglorious Bastards. She was also Abigail in the National Treasure movies. She has an action oh, background. Okay. She has some comedy background. Is she... I, I really think if I, I don't think I don't think that Marvel would take a gamble that large, but I would love absolutely love to see how interesting or what interesting paths they could take with just switching a character like that on a dime. Yeah, well, they could have. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, I like it. Mm hmm. I I I really uh, I I if I if I if I were to take stock in this right now and it paid off I I'd, I'd retire. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I I don't see it happening, but I can't I can't help but think, <laughs> but I can't help but think it would. She would be great as a that would be a lot of fun. And and part of it, 
thing here about the relationship to to Richards. They should do weird metacasting with with my Glenn Howard and from last week. Just think of just think of Glenn Howard and AKA Dennis Reynolds being bested by a woman. <laughs> <laughs> just think of that. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I no, I think you could still you could still have a uh, you could still have a great Doom character that still has a lot of the traits that Victor Von Doom has. I'm placeholding Victoria Von Doom in here right mm-hmm. now. Um, but have the same background, maybe have Richards and Doom have a, uh, have, like I said before, an academic background of some sort, an academic rivalry mm-hmm. where one of them bests the other in one way or another. Um, and that's how things start to escalate between them. Yeah. Um, and maybe have Doom still, I'm talking generically here, be, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, be a, um, be of a royal house of either Sokovia or, La- or Latveria mm-hmm. or Sokovia that t- then turns into Latveria. Right. Depending on, depending on how they set it up. Mm-hmm. But I, I think gender swapping Victor Von Doom would bring a lot of interesting takes on that character. That would be pretty cool. I would like to see it. I'd be on board. <laughs> so my number three is Diane Kruger. That's my only major gamble on here. The other two are very safe bets. I think my I think my next one's safe, and my number one is kind of like a pipe dream. I think. Okay. Um. Okay. Number two, Ewan McGregor. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So you know he's. I think he's a really great actor all around, but he's been in more sinister roles been in more um heroic roles and some in between so i did you see birds of prey yeah i i absolutely love what he's doing in there yeah it was fun yeah he was a fun like maniacal kind of villain (laughs) like he clearly had fun with the role and i I yeah i could i don't know i can just kind of envision him as doom i could too now i i could see him like pulling the mask down well after like him playing black mask in in yeah. there's a prey i could see him pulling the mask down yeah uh but yeah i could see it yep all right who's your number two uh my number two is brian cranston oh my god <laughs> that would be good if they were to do a much older um a much older doom a lot of mine are are older um except for kruger and my number one uh but yeah cranston would be a pretty interesting uh, foil to like an older reed richards he'd be a yeah. pretty good foil to like a john Trusinski. Yeah. You think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're like maybe 20 years apart. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe you could do it where Richards was a, was a, uh, or doom was a mentor to Richards Something of some like sort. That. Interesting. And, like and, and Cranston's done some commercial work in the past. Like he, before he got his big break, he used to do voiceover for the money more from power Rangers. Um, mm. And he, like, he's not, he's known for doing, very corny roles he was Hal and Malcolm in the middle he's known for very serious roles as well obviously he was Walt from Breaking Bad and he's he literally just he he's one of the most versatile actors I've ever seen and I think placing him as Doom would be would be fun yeah yeah I mean looking at his filmography he did Kung Fu Panda 3 so yeah (laughs) you know you've (laughs) You know, that's a versatile actor right there. <laughs> Don't tell me you're putting Jack Black as your number one. 
All right, what is your number my one? My number one. This Let's is okay. This is a pipe dream. I feel this is the only role this actor could play without it being distracting in the MCU. I think. Um, okay. And it is the only role I feel would be realistic because it's big enough to land this big of an actor. And I can see this 100%. And I think it would be absolutely incredible. Um, my number one is Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> that is a pipe dream, sir. Yep. <laughs> I, How amazing would that be, though? Like, believe, that would be absolutely perfect. Believe it or not, I almost put him on this list for that. Yep. And I, then I thought, no, that's never going to happen and took him off. <laughs> yeah. It's, but uh, that's why it's my number one. Like, I, I, if it happened, it w- he would kill it. Like, the idea it, of having an actor like him behind that mask most of the time sounds really appealing to me. Because, like, one of the things with Doom is he's so vain that mm-hmm. his, his disfigurement is, like, relatively minor, but he can't, like, show his face because he's too, like, ashamed of it. So he right. has his mask on. Like, that, it just... I don't know the the idea of putting him in that role and you know allowing him to just own it sounds just incredible to me. I'm not a I'm not opposed to that because I I I like I said I had thought about putting putting him on, but at the same time, you're right. This is the only role that I think he would he would jump into. There yeah. there really isn't anywhere else that he would fit, at least in my mind. Right. Yeah, and if they want to have him, like, you know, <laughs> shoot scenes outside of the mask so they can limit his involvement, like, and just do voice work for someone who's in the costume, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, even you could do that, but he, I mean, he's a presence, right? Like, yeah, but I, I just don't know that he would ever do this. But with the MCU getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you just really never know. I mean, mm-hmm. they're starting to pull russell crowe and for <laughs> for one a cameo. minute scene like well what what would be possible what unless I, unless he were to cast as hercules for all 30 seconds <laughs> that would be funny <laughs> that'd be a very tight a thing to do I, as well yeah i could just if there was ever it. a role that dicaprio could end up in in the mcu it would have to be something like doom uh-huh i can't think of another character that he would fit for that would be big enough Oh, he's played Vane pretty well as well. Oh, yeah. like he was. Uh, did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I haven't yet. No. He his his character is nothing but Vane in it. Yeah. I mean, he plays everything well. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's that's my number one pick. It's a pipe dream, but it's on there. I like I like <laughs> it though. And I'm glad you had the guts to put it on there when I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I had the guts to gender swap too. Yeah, gender yeah. swap Marvel's largest villain <laughs> when it when he's never been brought justice on the big screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling they're going to go as like faithful to the comics as they could possibly yeah. go. <laughs> so then my number one, uh, and I came across this because I've been wa- I've I've still been watching Invincible on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. uh, but Zachary Quinto. Oh, interesting. Pittsburgh boy. So mm-hmm. yeah, he he plays um uh robot on or he voices robot on Invincible, who's just a very stoic and monotone uh android. And I just hearing his voice on there, I couldn't help but picture him doing the same for Doom. Um he's I mean he's he's pretty eclectic as well. Uh being both I mean being both monotone for his uh, his voice work in Invincible and um, for being Spock, 
I think I think he's destined to be in the MCU at some point soon. Um, I, I have not seen American Horror Story, or believe it or not, I, I haven't watched uh, Heroes. Heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think he's I think he would fit. Yeah, he was really good in in Heroes. He was a really good fit as Spock for all the problems those films have. Yeah. Hey, you got Spock. I got Kirk on my list. So <laughs> yeah. I, I like that pick a lot. I actually, um, I never had him on the list, but he was a name that I had thought about. Um, and I, I think that would be great. And I'd be on board with that. Mm-hmm. He's a good actor. Nice picks. So recap your top three. So my top three are Justin Thoreau, Ewan McGregor, and Leonardo DiCaprio. And then my top three, I've got Diane Kruger, Brian Cranston, and Zach Quinto. Yeah, so that's our fan casting for this week. Let us know what your thoughts are, and let me know if I'm crazy for thinking gender swapping. Victor Von <laughs> Doom is a good idea. I'm sticking to it. Don't you can argue me till till it it's announced, but it's not going to happen. But I'll still defend it. Yeah, hey, you got to be bold. So yeah. finale of the winter. It's been a Falcon week. and the Winter Soldier was it. this week. And it it came out to some mixed results overall, I'd say. I mean, for me at least, it wasn't the worst ending that could have happened. It wasn't the best. There there were some things I liked, some things I didn't. What, what were your thoughts overall? I liked it. I liked Sam's arc. I liked mm-hmm. John's arc, even though I felt like they could have gone a little bit further in it. I was a little disappointed with how Bucky kind of went back to sidekick mode in this episode a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I liked his arc overall, you know, culminating in him going back to Yori. I felt like there wasn't a lot in this episode that surprised me. It kind mm-hmm. of just went about its business. It almost felt like a little bit like a checklist, mm-hmm. right? Like we had show Sam in a fight scene. He had to save people to display his Captain America. We had to have John fight Carly. We had to have Sam fight Carly. We had the power broker reveal. It just felt like they were just knocking out like checklists one by one. And I can't think of anything that really truly surprised me in this episode. And that's kind of true for the series as a whole. I mean, a lot of the things we talked about in like episode one and two came to fruition. Right. I think, I think the biggest thing that surprised me and it it shouldn't have even come that much of a surprise was going back to Isaiah Bradley one last time. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Not to say I shouldn't have expected it, but for that, for that closure to happen, I thought was was it was it was a great touch, but it was unexpected for me at least. I thought I thought they would have just ended him with Sam just saying something off to the side of oh well I'll do this in Isaiah's memory, but no like oh this ending actually makes more sense. Right. Yeah, and I think overall, like I think what makes sense is if we go through each character's kind of arc and their path through this episode, right, and talk (laughs) about how we feel about it because I I. Really, the way I feel about things differs from character to character. This Pretty much. Episode. And and a lot of, and I was saying this before, but a lot of my praises of this episode are praises I've had this whole season. A lot of my gripes with this episode are the gripes that I've had all season. Yeah. Like, like, like you said, it's been a checklist. Nothing major has changed at this point. This is just closing out character arts. So episode six was labeled, labeled One World, One People directed again by Kari Strodland, written by Malcolm Spellman and Joseph Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer 
has only TV writing credits behind him. Uh, the largest one was as a staff writer on CBS's SEAL team. Hmm. And I mean, it, at times it did feel like this was just a, the finale of a cable network series. Yeah, it was just a little clunky. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it didn't it didn't really flow smoothly. There were kind of weird cuts, I felt a little bit from time yeah. to time. Weird weird points to jump in and out of um storylines and mm-hmm. I, I thought that was kind of strange. Um so, I mean, I guess if we start off character by character, like we should start with Sam, right? Because yeah. he was very much the strongest character of this episode in this entire series. Mm-hmm. rightfully so that's how, yeah, where yeah. the focus should have been i'm so happy it was i'm happy with where he's at now the, the the shot the first shot of him in his suit is so cool it's almost one for one from the comics mm-hmm. um, what, what are your thoughts on the suit in general i thought it looked great mm-hmm. maybe not so much like standing still and at the street level <laughs> but when he's flying around it looks yeah amazing when he's that's the thing I, I i like it when he's moving around but when he's standing there it just looks like a costume it doesn't yeah. look like a suit i was i was partially hoping that it would be more armored it seemed like he needed yeah. that like especially because it came from wakanda i expected it to be like almost all vibranium mm-hmm. like you know almost not like black panthers in the, in the coloring and stuff but almost like that sort of um vibe to it yeah um but i I, there are some shots of him like hanging in the air with the shield and tossing the shield that just looks so cool yeah so i'm i'm happy with that i mean the scene where he saved the hostages out of the helicopter was really cool when he he threw well he identified with red wing that there was a which is very um convenient that there was a helicopter pilot (laughs) on the the plane helicopter (laughs) um i'll forgive it though i mean you it was a quick way for them to do this like heroic moment for Sam and the way he threw the shield to break the window and then charge through it was so cool. Yeah. That was that whole uh, sequence was probably the best action sequence of this episode, at least to me. Yeah. I think um, so too. It was a little more creative, uh, especially what they could do in character. And uh, this is the first time we've seen like an actual dog fight in the, other than the, the, epi- the, mm-hmm. the first episode, an actual dog fight in the MCU, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that that action sequence was really neat. And then there, there was a point on the bridge when he went to save a, I can't remember if it was a hostage or just a bystander, but he dug his wings down and formed a, a oh yeah, like a dome around himself, and then put the shield at the top to cover like the top <laughs> hole where the wings don't. It, just, it yeah. was so cool. And every he got up, everyone cheered, and you know, you really got the sense he owned that he's Captain America now. Mm-hmm. And they, I think at this point, they really had to sell it that Sam is Captain America. And I think having that crowd there, yeah. it, as corny as some of those lines were of, yeah. oh, it's Black Falcon. No, that's Captain America. You needed I, it. It was corny, but it was needed. Like just yeah. to just to just to drive it home a little bit more. And we'll mm-hmm. get to his speech speech as in a minute. Yeah. Um, but I thought him going down in the in the construction site was there. There was a lot going on down there that was hard to follow. The fight, you mean kind of like the standoff between Sharon and... Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sam's role in that when he was fighting Carly, mostly, right? Yeah. That, I liked what Sam was doing, like making the decision not to fight back, and she was getting frustrated with that. I thought that was a good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think necessarily Carly deserved it. <laughs> like, like they, they, like, for lack of a better word, kicked the shit out of John Walker last week. 
for murdering this that week. guy. Carly, and this week, and Carly murdered so many people, and Sam won't do anything to her. Yeah, like I, I, I understand not wanting to kill her. Like obviously, he wouldn't want to kill her. Mm-hmm. But to not even try to subdue her felt odd to me. Given like they, I mean, they broke John Walker's arm last week just to get the shield, and then walked away from him. Like right, not to apprehend him or anything. <laughs> I was like. This is weird. And I feel like he and Bucky have kind of like killed people in this series. <laughs> Probably at some like, point. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was weird a little bit that he wouldn't fight back, even though it just, you know, it was a good, good um, moment when Carly was hitting him and just getting frustrated that he wouldn't fight back. I just felt like she didn't deserve that. And that's mostly due to the issues with the flag smashers as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel they robbed Sam of having to make that hard decision when Sharon shot Carly at the end. That's that's a fair criticism as well, that they kind of dug him out of his hole. Yeah, Sharon made the decision for him, right? Like he didn't have to. His decision was not to fight back, but we didn't get to see the cons. Well, we I guess we saw the consequences because Carly got shot. But whereas he probably could have stopped her and subdued her. Yeah, and took her out alive. Yeah, but I, I don't feel that was the read that we were meant to take from that, though. That's the thing. Like no. they, they don't go back to that, even though it kind of, you know, if Sam would have been able to subdue her in the way that he subdued Walker. I, I will say, just jumping into the start of this episode, I I was a little confused as to what was going on um, in general, because I understood that the Flat Smashers were planning on convening on the GRC. But the last time we saw them, it was bright as day out, and then all of a sudden... We see the GRC and it's pitch blackout and G- and the flat smashers are just storming this it, building out of it nowhere. Was, it wasn't so much out of nowhere. In last episode, when Sam was watching the footage in New York, it was at night. Oh, was it? Yeah. So he okay. just kind of flew there in a couple hours or whatever, okay. knowing that this flag smashers attack was imminent. Okay. Yeah. So not, not completely out of the blue, but it, okay. it was framed strangely because that we only saw that news recording right of like yeah. the time in the last episode so right and it, i mean it, it just kind of like i feel like we were just kind of thrown into this yeah out of, it, it i understand that they set it up last week at the end but it mm-hmm. it just felt like this was out of nowhere yeah i mean going to the start of the episode it, i got a little excited when sam was like i called in some help and i thought i thought it was going to be roadie because i expected roadie to show oh, up okay. in this episode but it was just sharon i was like oh, oh. okay yeah. oh <laughs> She's here so we can get the power broker reveal. That's mostly what I I saw her face (laughs) because it was just so obvious at that point. I felt, (laughs) Um, yeah. So, I mean, Sam's arc as a whole, you know, saving that truck um, Mm -hmm. when John Walker couldn't as a super soldier, I thought was we, I I mentioned last week, I feel like Sam had to beat Walker in public. And I think he did there. That was his way of doing it. (laughs) Yeah. Like it wasn't direct confrontation, but um i mean you see it on walker too that yeah he he knows that it's over there's only one path to go and we'll get to that so yeah once sam rescues those people and carries carly's body out of Mm -hmm. out of the ruins he he gives that whole speech yeah to the grc yeah which it that i liked what was going on there but it it was too it was a very aaron sorkin like speech that just kept going <laughs> yeah it was long there was way too much in there that could have been cut out yeah they had to keep cutting away to show like sarah's reaction to show mm-hmm. um isaiah's reaction i felt like that's why it was long my i i liked it i liked his delivery of it um i liked the speech as a whole but 
my problems with it are kind of the same things I've stated before is like the Senator asked him a very fair question. You have no idea what it's like to try to make these decisions. Like what should, what would we, what should we have done? Like it's been six months since half of the world came back. Like things aren't going to be smooth. Like we have to kind of hit the reset button here. Like not saying I agree with like deporting all the refugees from countries, but there's not a lot of great things they can do. And one thing the senator said and or that Sam said in response that I thought made a lot of sense, but they should have had more groundwork for it is who's in that room making decisions with you? Is it the people you're affecting or the people that are just like you? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really powerful. And I thought they could have used some of that messaging and Carly's motivations earlier in the season to say, like, they are they're just doing this to us. We're just numbers to them. They're not they're not including us in the decision making process. The people that, you know, and they kind of just said they don't care about us was mostly what her arguments were so i thought i thought that was a really good point by sam i wish it had been shared by carly earlier in the series Mm -hmm. and that that comes back on i mean you're completely right that it it made sense here and it's a fantastic point but that's where a lot of um a lot of character development goes a long way Mm -hmm. and even tying carly into the actual themes of this show of uh who has power who who actually gets to control that power, who gets to make those decisions. It, that's why I think it feels very underwhelming here. Mm-hmm. It is, it's always implied that that's what they're talking about, but they never really, I don't think they fully stuck the landing on that one. Well, they stuck the landing, mm-hmm. but it, but they landed on one foot. Yeah, I guess we should just hit on the, the Flag Smashers now while we're talking about them. Yeah. Um, I felt overall they're pool enemies, but they never, their goals always stayed so nebulous. Like we never had any idea what, like their goals were literally just to terrorize. And Sam's like, don't call them terrorists, but it's like they're using intimidation and violence to like accomplish political goals. Like they're terrorists. That's the textbook definition of terrorists. Yeah. Like they're killing people. They're (laughs) bombing stuff. Carly's like, kill the hostages. I don't care anymore. They're like, don't call them terrorists. It's sad. It's a label. Don't use that. You're just going to isolate them. And I get where he's coming from, but, but at this point, the flat smashers and Carly have been so, are so far removed from development that it, I'm getting mixed messages from the show itself. And I don't know which one to take. Right. Cause I felt like when Sam was giving that speech, I like felt it and I was like, Oh, you know what? He's right. And then like, as soon as you start like peeling back the layers and thinking a little bit more about it, it doesn't really work mesh it doesn't mesh just because they were so underdeveloped and what they should have done honestly is i don't even think more time or more episodes would have helped this i think i think that the sharon carter stuff muddled a lot of things up the power broker stuff muddled a lot of things up was completely unnecessary Mm -hmm. and they should have spent that time with carly yeah instead of instead of spending a whole episode in magic report looking for the power broker maybe spend a whole episode in magic report looking for carly for some reason she's there um, I mean, you could still have a power broker, but just not make it make that person a huge plot point or a huge point yeah. of uh, of speculation as to who it is to say there is a power broker. That's where Carly's getting her stuff from. Well, yeah, I was, I was watching and it it could be an interesting reveal if it wasn't like so obvious by like episode three. That, that sharing, too. Right. Like I, I in um, I was watching screen rants. Uh, pitch meeting for this those videos are always hilarious that they do for all these you know blockbuster movies and and series but one of the things they said they were like in episode two we find out that the power broker is a person who holds a lot of power influence and money in madripoor 
And then we meet Sharon Carter, who's a person who <laughs> holds a lot of power and money and influence in Madripoor. <laughs> and the other guy's like, so she's the power broker. He's like, what? No. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it, we call, I, we, you and I called it on. Well, you called two. it. Well, I didn't yeah. want to buy it. Well, I, I believed your theory. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just went along you for threw another one. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Ross wasn't a bad prediction. No, I, I fully expected him to show up in this episode. Well, I heard, um, I was listening to uh, the Rainerverse today where they were talking about, they were doing their instant reactions to, to the finale. I mean, mm-hmm. it came out on Friday or Saturday, but uh, one of the things that the, the Midnight Boys were talking about was we got to stop like abusing ourselves when it comes to speculation. After the whole Mephisto debacle, and mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole nightmare debacle from WandaVision. Yeah. And now people are talking about all oh, the Thunderbolts are showing up. All oh, Ross <laughs> might show up. Like, well, that actually seems like a much more logical prediction than yeah. Mephisto coming in or nightmare showing up and controlling all of WandaVision. Right. I would have, I would have predicted Ross over um, Rhodey. Oh yeah. Before the series aired. If I, if you gave me a cho- choice between the two, like that's how realistic I think. Not a choice, like I'd rather see Ross, but you know, real on a realism scale, it seems a lot more logical. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think having Rhodey in the first episode was a nice nod, but, but I think logically speaking, within this plot um, and the story, Ross would make a lot more sense to bring mm-hmm. in at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of wonder if it's just going to be Val setting up the Thunderbolts now. Honestly. It could be at this point, but. Anyways, I mean, the back to the Flag Smashers, I I don't want to harp on it and, you know, it didn't ruin the series for me. I, if I had to rate this, it would still be like, you know, an 8.5 out of 10, out of 10 or a 9 out of 10. But I, I just because that, that's fully on the strength of Sam, Bucky and John Walker's arcs, right? I don't I don't think Zemo really had an arc in this. He like, did. He, he didn't really change. He just wanted to kill super soldiers and he killed super soldiers. Um, <laughs> he did what he wanted but, yeah exactly which was cool i like that um <laughs> and you had to have a villain that was sympathetic in here because you had to highlight the differences between walker and sam mm-hmm. but they just failed to make them sympathetic i think is the biggest problem with them well see i i kind of disagree with you on the fact that uh the flat to me the flat smashers were such a core part of this story that it's hard for me to not like them. Not to say I don't like the show, but them not being developed brings it down for me because yeah. thematically they tie in, uh, plot-wise they tie in, and character-wise character they tie in all extremely well. But because they were the core point of the plot and the main villain, it to me it brings it down a lot. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, you can't get away from it. You can't just, if you remove it, if you remove the Flag Smashers plot, a lot of this doesn't make sense all of a sudden. Yeah, for sure. A lot of it doesn't make sense with him in there either. That, that's true. I mean, the Sharon <laughs> stuff, you could take Sharon Carter out yeah. of it and you could still move things around and make it make sense. Oh, yeah. But if you, take the, if you take the Flag Smashers out of there, that gets rid of a very core element of the show of what we yeah. were just talking about of Sam's speech where who uh, who gets to control yeah. what others do well carly has a great point in saying that the people have a, should have a say in this and i never fully got that from her mm-hmm. i i felt we needed a scene of carly before 
like what was so great about everything in the blip for these people Mm -hmm. like they got to go to different countries as refugees but that doesn't sound that great (laughs) like i I mean i uh, that's that's it's a fair point but for me i felt like the main point of this show were the the arcs of sam and bucky and i felt like they nailed those enough and treated the flag smashers as kind of a a way to push their arcs forward more than anything else Mm -hmm. that i'm trying not to dig too much into too much into them i guess even though i i i thought as you know muscle villains they were cool their goals (laughs) didn't make a lot of sense to me and i never really bought into the um sympathetic aspects of them i mean it, it didn't make me that sad when carly died and she was like i'm sorry which was weird i felt because she like just before that she was like it doesn't matter if we die the movement lives on and then mm-hmm. she died when she died she like regretted it all i don't know <laughs> didn't seem that seemed very out of character well also when when zemo blew them up i just didn't really care oh i didn't care i, like, I was like oh good zemo like yeah <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it, it was almost oh. meant to be funny right like the yeah. butler like sitting there watching it like, <laughs> yeah and, i was just uh, i'm just in, intently zemo's just... like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like he rested he rested on the bed and i yeah it they they totally didn't know what they wanted to do with the flag smashers they were just full-on terrorists that they tried to make sympathetic and i i thought that failed but for me the the good far outweighs the bad and the only bad was flag smasher motivations and like sharon's involvement okay. felt, as a whole so then, going back to Sam, and we just, we're only halfway through his his arc yeah. of this episode. God. Um, he ends up he ends up going back to Isaiah, and basically saying, "Listen, I I heard what you said. Yep, and I I am one hundred percent on board with what you're saying, but essentially saying to what saying what he said to Sarah last week of yeah, I agree with you, but what's the point in in giving up if you've gone through all of this, if you've, if you've right. gone through so much pain. And I, I, I did like Isaiah's reaction of, oh, you almost had me there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I you can't take when the he, when he actually, he, you know, he had him. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was like, you're no, he said, what did he say? You're a good man. He said, you're no Malcolm or Martin, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I I've really liked the the final note that they put on of, on that arc of him taking him to the Captain America exhibit yeah. of him, him oh. of Isaiah and Eli at the Captain America exhibit and showing this new area of, of the super soldier experiments yep. and the statue of Isaiah Bradley just I thought oh, amazing scene yeah I mean that's what that's what to me kind of like makes the the faults worth it I guess um. And uh, it was just very powerful. Like Isaiah, who was just this distant, broken person, you know, still is not fixed because you can't just be like, hey, look, there's a statue of you. You're all better now, right? (laughs) But he, you know, just to see him get so emotional over that was amazing. I wonder then, does that mean we might get uh, a little bit of Elijah's development in chapter four? I wouldn't be surprised. I kind of feel like we're going to see him suit up before then though i don't know what that would be 
I mean, we still don't technically know that they're not going to do a second season of this before Cap 4. Yeah, that's true. They could have already started writing it and be in pre-production and just haven't announced it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that just to get some more development with Isaiah and or Eli, sorry, and um, Walker and stuff like that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they did end up doing a second season of this before heading into Cap 4 because mm-hmm. we just don't. I mean, they could be way further along on Cap 4 than... Than they're leading on. Yeah, because, you know, they obviously wouldn't want to announce it before the series happens. Right. I mean, um, for all they know, the series ends up being a huge flop. Right. You, people don't want another entry. Yeah, which is definitely not going to be the case after this one. No, and I, I think Marvel took a huge gamble here and it paid off. Yeah. They, that's the thing. They have, a, they have a very good history of taking large gambles and them actually working. Guardians mm-hmm. was a huge one. Civil yep. War was a huge one. Infinity yep. War and Endgame were big ones. Yep. This is a big one. Mm-hmm. Eternals is a huge one. I mean, what's so amazing about this is we could have, and the risk in this is that people could have looked at this as like unnecessary, right? And like mm-hmm. skipped it or whatever, but it proves how valuable these stories are going to be. Yeah. You know, like we could have, like, could we have just gotten a cap four where it's Sam? And he has the shield and, you know, that's it. Yeah. We could have just gotten him established like after the events of this happened or what have you, but we didn't. They told us this story about him taking the mantle and it was just this, you know, it, it, when we see him on the big screen as cap, it's just going to mean so much more having watched this. Like it's just going to be so much better and so much hold so much more weight. Right. And I believe it or not, I know a lot of people that have said, oh, I'm just skipping this because it, it seems boring. And it does have its problems, but I, I can't recommend it enough to at least, it's only six hours. Just yeah, push yourself Under through that, it. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Just push yourself through it. It's, it's worth it. Or it will be worth it next time we see Sam as Captain America. Yeah. Or Captain Falcon throwing Falcon punches. Captain Falcon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why they had, like, didn't throw that joke out there? I don't know. <laughs> they should have. That was an easy one. We <laughs> just wrote it. It was a layup. It was a layup. <laughs> That's probably why they didn't throw it in there because it's so easy for us. <laughs> it, it, one, one of the fans in the audience could have easily said, "No, that's Captain Falcon." <laughs> yeah. Well, our other uh, headlining character, kind of uh, his his arc mostly wrapped last week and we just got yeah. kind of the ca- some action in the capstone to his arc in this one um so with bucky you know he was involved in in the fights you were right that you know he was heading back to new york to to deal with yori and also just to place him here for the battle later yeah and uh i i liked his involvement here i was a little disappointed he kind of took more of a sidekick role and you know this wasn't really his fight but he still did get some action against the flag smashers um he saved walker (laughs) yeah um he saved a bunch of hostages i i thought he was i thought he was cool in this in this episode yeah overall i like his arc and the idea of him adjusting to the modern world uh and adjusting or him coming into his own role as himself uh, just as sam coming into the role of captain america and john coming into the role of eventually u.s agent but realizing mm-hmm. who he truly is um i i liked that but to me it just felt like his bucky's arc was kind of like 
jumbled all over the place this seat this whole season. Do you know what he I mean? Didn't get, he didn't get the same focus as Sam. No. And I get why. Yeah. But... It's there. It's just you have to piece it together. Yeah. I his arc was more secondary. I still thought thought it was really solid. Though. Yeah. Um it definitely seemed they were gonna be on more equal footing in the first episode. Mm-hmm. I felt like they after that it was like, you know, the the Falcon <laughs> show. Pretty <right>? much. <laughs> like, um, but I, I think Sam really affected you can see why they put them together because their arcs were so intertwined in, you know, just dealing the fallout of losing Steve. You talked about Bucky coming into himself and like getting to know who he find out who he actually is and you know, in last episode, Sam made a great, had a great line about it. And he goes, you know, don't listen to what Steve thought of you. It doesn't matter. Like he's yeah. gone. Like not to say that, you know, Steve sucks and <laughs> <laughs> nothing he said matters, but you know, Hear that, everyone? stop letting him define. John said Steve is. Rogers sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll clip that out. <laughs> Steve sucks. <laughs> Falcon fam forever <laughs> ff hashtag fantastic Reed Richards confirmed <laughs> but anyway yeah as you're saying like like to your point that sam tells bucky it doesn't really matter what steve thought you're right but bucky doesn't know since world war ii he doesn't know how to be himself and i'm i'm glad that i, I we didn't get a lot of him after that after that fact, we saw him. We literally saw him go back to Yuri, yep. and then him walk out. It's it's very well and much implied what happened in there, and I I actually wanted to see that scene though of him Me telling too. of him telling Yuri, I'm the one that killed your son. Well, we we saw him say it, but we didn't see Yuri's reaction or anything. Yeah, it is kind of implied, but it's still a little bit vague to where they could go either way. Like either Yuri forgave him or kicked him out. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you, you have that scene of him walking past the cafe and seeing the waitress and Yori inside there mm-hmm. um, and Yori seemed to be happy and laughing and Bucky kind of just left. Yeah. I wonder where we see Bucky again. I, I mean, definitely in cap four, you have to assume, right? I would assume, but, uh, I wonder if we see him before then or not. Who knows? We'll see him in a new Orleans jazz quartet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that last scene of the two of them hanging out with Sam's family and, the 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 family oh, yeah. down, down on the pier was i wanted a whole episode of just that that was amazing <laughs> he, he was lifting all the kids on his arm while he talked to sarah <laughs> so funny it, it was great like that that was a great way to end the episode just you know like a little celebration down in louisiana i thought mm-hmm. that was awesome and they're you can tell they're genuine friends now yeah they're not just begrudgingly oh, yeah. with each other yeah, I mean, like on screen, we've seen more of their friendship than Steve with either one of them to this point now. Yeah, that's very true. You know, like even Steve and Bucky, like we barely saw any of their friendship in the MCU as a whole when you think about it. Yeah, just in the first, epi- uh, just, first, first episode, first Avenger, yeah. there was a lot of it. And like a couple lines in Infinity War and Endgame, but. Yeah, yeah, but here they seem like genuine friends. Yeah. That's interesting. It's, it's, it's really awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, you don't in the movies, you don't have time to see people like just hanging out, you know? <laughs> yeah. So in these series, that's what we get. Like we get the the day to day life of these people. Right. And we definitely saw that with Sam and Bucky, like between the last episode and the end of this one, there was a lot of, you know, emphasis put on their friendship and their relationship. So I thought that was 
that was a really cool ending to the episode. Yeah. Speaking of really cool, John Walker. Oh, that that new outfit. I, <laughs> the new outfit is really cool. Is great. I was sarcastically going to talk about the shield. Last week I said oh. it would be cool if the shield just got destroyed as soon as he got there, and it and it, 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 it pretty much did. The flat smashers just said F it and just yeah, they, completely they bashed it. it in. They smashed it. Um, shield smashers. Like, flag smash. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I I initially okay so here's where I landed with John Walker. Wh- while watching the episode, I thought it was really off how they handled him in this episode mm-hmm. compared to last week. Upon thinking about it, I think it all makes sense. So like we see John, he strolls up to the fight and he's like Morgenthau, I'm like yeah, like kind of like a vigilante, like you know very bold and boisterous, and he has a shield and he fights some flag smashers. But I don't know why that him. that shield looks convincing at first. Yeah, it sort of did. Yeah. It's like a crumpled mess on the ground. Walker gets chumped by the flag smashers. Bucky <laughs> has to save him from getting beat with a parking meter. Um, <laughs> and really, we see him take the first step towards reden- redemption, which I thought was a little fast, where he has the option to go after Carly or to stop the van from falling and killing all of the hostages inside. And he, you know, he starts to pull the van up. It still ends up almost going in before Sam saves it. But, you know, he makes the right choice in the moment there. Cause I mm-hmm. think deep down, you know, I know deep down he wants from to what do we've right. seen on him. He wants to do good. He wants to be the hero. He thinks he is the hero, but he thinks the hero is always just going after the, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Cause we see some of, uh, before that, I guess there's this, the fight with he and Carly and it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. A pretty good fight scene after the van incident. We kind of have a little team up between Walker, Sam, and Bucky, which I thought was kind of weird, but you know, they're all aligned in that moment, right? Like, yeah, I guess it's not that weird. And it seemed like Walker was kind of just like tagging along with them a little bit, I felt. <laughs> um, and later, Sam and Walker, or Bucky and Walker, catch the rest of the flag smashers using their app. They corner them. And, <laughs> and Walker makes like a Lincoln joke, which was, or he quotes Lincoln and, and, Bucky's like Lincoln from you, really? <laughs> He's like it's it's uh doesn't sound right coming from you, basically, or something along those lines. Yeah, and which I thought I I thought it was just odd that I mean everybody saw Johnny Walker at publicly execute somebody two weeks ago. Yeah, and now Bucky's not afraid to pow around with him just a little bit. I don't know, just and they broke they I literally broke his it, arm like that. So I thought that too, but then going back to Walker, it's like his personality. Like he, he wants to like say these buddy, buddy things to them. Like back when he was like, it'd be nice to have Cap's sidekicks at my side or something like that. Right. Yeah. Like he, he was really cheesy like that in episode one and or episode two. And I felt like Bucky was kind of just annoyed by him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like didn't really see him as much of a threat because <laughs> he doesn't have like the shield and they kind of beat him already. And they were, you know, both, kind of focused on fl- stopping the flag smashers i did think it was weird that they kind of were buddy buddy but it wasn't so much that i felt like like i said i think bucky was mostly annoyed with him and then he walked kind of just disappeared after uh seeing sam's speech you could they they cut to him a couple times during sam's speech and he mm-hmm. seemed to understand why sam is cap mm-hmm. i think you know jumping ahead to his scene with val when she gives him the u.s agent outfit I initially on watching this thought it was really weird how he was like, I'm back, baby. Yeah. I'm like, he was so happy. I was like, he doesn't deserve to be happy yet. Like, yeah, he he doesn't deserve to be redeemed just because he saved that van. But I don't think he has been redeemed. And I don't think that's meant to be 
like a yay moment for John Walker. It's like all this guy needs is like validation and a purpose. Like <laughs> that's all he wants. And Val just gives him like everything he starts he wants. to go towards the redemption and then Val just manipulates him by being like, yeah, you're, you're not Captain America anymore, but we don't need that. You're a U S agent. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I'm back. (laughs) I thought thought it was a turn on his arc where it was like, he started to go towards redemption and she pulled him back to like the vanity, the ego. That's really interesting. I didn't think of it that way. Cause Mm -hmm. I, I initially thought of it as the way you were describing it at first, where it just felt like a weird tonal shift overall. And I mean, to be fair, the stuff with Val, the two scenes she's had this season, just both were tonally out of place. Oh, for sure. Um, but I think you're right that that him just being validated was enough to make him dangerous again. He's not fully yes. redeemed. Him trying to save the van instead of going after Carly was a, was a misstep for his character because this whole season, he would have gone after Carly no matter what. See, I don't know if I agree with that. It, it's... You don't think so? No, I get the sense from John that he wants to do the right thing. And he okay. clearly like debated it. He was like, should I go yeah. after Carly? But, you know, he, he wanted to do the right thing there. I can't, I just, based on what I've seen from him, you know, talking about the soldier, super soldier serum, letting him save people. I think what he considered in that moment was some of the things Lamar said with like, you know, how many people we could save if we had the serum. And there he had yeah. a chance to save these people that were falling. So Maybe he would have everything we've seen from him, but I think because of what happened to him with Lamar and everything, that changed how he's thinking. But that, okay. I also feel that, you know, he started on the redemption. I don't think that redeemed him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think oh, no, he didn't read the Val scene as redemption either. I think that's like, you know, not redemption. He but literally validation. is just, I mean, she's manipulating him. Yeah. But yeah. she knows exactly what he wants, what makes him tick like making him feel important, making him feel like a hero. So she's, you know, makes up the US agent name. And I think it's meant to feel like goofy because that's what he wants is like this, like a silly title, like to call himself. Yeah, that like, I, I really liked that read on it. That That's a good call. I you, You've changed me on that. I, I like yeah. that. It took some thinking and like reading um, how other people read it as well to, to come to that conclusion. But, you know, if you rewatch it, I think that Val scene is meant to feel uncomfortable and weird and unearned mm-hmm. because it is. And Val knows that. And she's she knows that that's the easiest way she can manipulate this guy into doing what she wants. Well, speaking of things that are, feel weird, uncomfortable, and unearned, let's talk about Sharon's end credit scene or post credit scene. Let's talk about her whole Let's just talk about her. This episode uh, <laughs> in the series. I Nothing against Emily Van Camp. I thought she did well with what she was given for sure. Mm-hmm they i think i said this to you in text like they went they went from kissing literally kissing captain america to betraying the entire united states in about like what four minutes of screen time in the yeah. MCU from between civil war and now um i i initially in episode three i didn't have a huge problem with her turn to being like you know cynical about heroes about captain america and that type of thing um because her explanation made sense. Mm-hmm. And it fits It fits with some of the themes of the show as well. Yeah. I would have liked to have that co- initial conversation with her go a little less like it did and have a little bit more elaboration to sell it a little bit better. But then they just didn't go back to her at all to a point where I didn't want to see more of her by this episode. And I wish they would have just cut the entire character from this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it felt more than anything like they want to use her down the road, so they felt they had to shoehorn her in here. It was no huge mystery who the power broker was. Like they never, the power broker didn't do anything in the series to warrant that level of mystery. It felt like it was just a hook to keep people watching. But everybody figured it out obvious. as soon as right. as soon as it was the same, almost the same thing as uh, as Agatha for WandaVision yeah. and spoilers for that. But it was almost like as soon as as soon as Catherine Hahn came on screen, everybody knew she was Agatha. Right. And they at least with that, it was integral to the plot. Yeah. And she had they had fun with it like yeah like even if even though she it was, was revealed they still surprised us with she, the song and the, yeah, the I mean, acting she was, of Catherine Hahn right i mean she was playing a, a, a character trope in sitcom so it, it made sense all along right I mean, she was the nosy neighbor which yeah. is in almost every major sitcom but uh, in this case that sharon carter is the power broker she was only in she was only the major focus of one episode and everybody knew right away and they still hit it mm-hmm. and the way they revealed it was so like blocky and yeah jumbled clunky. and or clunky and it just i mean the fact that it was batrock that called her out on it which i i still don't understand why he was brought back in in the first place just to spy on carly <laughs> i i guess but then yeah. but then he tries to blackmail her and he she kills him and then and then sharon kills carly it just there was a lot going on there that i understand why she killed both batrock and carly to cover up her identity because at this Mm -hmm. point they're the only two that only other two that know but it just it felt so forced and so out of place that what was crazy to me was they elaborated that her relationship to carly was way more than they ever had hinted before in the show like she was like sharon's ward basically like oh yeah her understudy like yeah that makes her even worse of a person <laughs> so it was like I, I was like wow why why didn't you show like they if they didn't weren't so focused on keeping that reveal they could have built up sharon and carly at the same time by showing some of their relationship yeah throughout this you know like they they could have had a lot of conversations to give us insight into their actual characters that actually would have been a great flashback of the two of them of of, mm-hmm. of sharon ascending to power as the power broker and carly like learning from her and also this is how she becomes radicalized it's not because right. they kill a character that we know nothing about in mama mm-hmm. Danya, it's that sharon taught her how to yeah that would be i think that's all you we needed and <laughs> that yeah. would have made this that reveal much more powerful and that death right. much more powerful well it just didn't need to be a reveal it could have just been character work well that's that's what <laughs> i mean like, like, the, like, like they 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 you know they use the mystery and suspense in place of character development <laughs> and yeah. it didn't work it didn't pay off i don't think i mean sharon going to the post credit scene i saw her after the credits ended i saw her and i was like oh man <laughs> like, <laughs> like i was almost disappointed i was like okay well ross is gonna come up or she's gonna walk outside and she's gonna be a scrawl or something's gonna happen she's gonna be but a she, scrawl they're like talking about how you know she was getting pardoned and they uh, her family has done so much for the united states and she walks outside and immediately pulls her cell phone out on the steps of the courtroom or wherever they are and she's like okay i got access to all the secrets <laughs> now and i was like what <laughs> like you're a covert operative and you just get outside and immediately call somebody and blab about all the secrets you have access to like, 
like so now not only is she just like a weapons dealer basically but she's betraying the entire u.s government it's like i know she has kind of a vendetta for of them but i don't know i just thought it was it was weird things they have done with this character it it amazes me yeah that made me know that they shoehorned her in just to have her set up and she i mean she was such a minor player it doesn't bring the whole series down because you could just pretend like she's not even there and it doesn't yeah make much of a difference outside of the final confrontation with carly like they they could have just had some other reason they were in madripoor some other reason to get to that doctor mm-hmm. uh, in episode three and you know had the the showdown with carly go a, slightly differently and mm-hmm. you know you don't you don't need much of of sharon and not again, not to to fault Emily Van Camp. I thought it's she did not well her. with what she had. It just, I don't want to. It's to the point. Like I'm not that interested in that character. Like they didn't. The turn was far too sharp in her character to <laughs> want to set her up as a villain. Now, what do you do with her going forward? I mean, to me, based on her talking about all the technology she has access to, I kind of went to Armor Wars. That's possible. Um, I heard it. I heard speculation. This is this. This might be a stretch, but who is she talking to on the phone? There is it. Is it Ross? Is it? Yeah, is it know. just one of her clients? Is it Fury? Does she still? Is she still working for Fury without anybody knowing? And I would. That- I I thought that up until that post credit scene that that could be a possibility, but I don't think fury like I, I don't see her needing to call somebody and being like well no not not necessarily her needing to call somebody but her being his eyes and ears on earth oh it could is be it, it's that might be a, a huge stretch but i wouldn't rule that out of the i wouldn't rule that out is what well, i'm we saying know who his eyes and ears on earth are at this point oh yeah Anyways, that's true talos <laughs> yeah <has> fury <laughs> so <laughs> what if, what if oh my god what if sharon is really just talos I I I've that would people, make a lot more sense than what they did with her. I've seen people online wondering if it's a setup for Secret Invasion and she's just a scrawl. <laughs> Which I almost wonder if they'll just do that at this point to, to get rid of her, to invalidate the her character arc and rescue her from a scrawl prison. Like she's been a, <laughs> she's been a scrawl for seven years or something. I, I it wouldn't make any of this worth it to me, even if that's the case. They they have heavy lifting to do to make this character worthwhile is she talking to justin hammer maybe that would make sense yeah he could be a client i i think he'll come back for armor wars Wars. i mean i I think you have a good point of of this leading into armor wars uh she the power broker would be a great character to have in there as an arms Hmm. dealer oh for sure versus roadie versus justin hammer Uh, that's all wild speculation that we're doing right now but that would be a pretty interesting trio uh i mean to have go up against each other the problem is like they there's a lot of work they have to do to make that character interesting as a villain i think and i just don't know if i want to see it <laughs> like <laughs> i just point. don't I, I, like if we talk about armor wars and having her be the main villain or an antagonist in it i just don't know if i want that like yeah. i'd rather just them retire the character they probably just should have from the start if they weren't going to do anything interesting with her in this i mean they attempted to do something interesting but it felt like they were just like, well, we don't, we didn't know what you're doing with the character the first time, so now we're just going to do the opposite of what that character was. Like, uh, it's just, I, I was not, not a fan of it. Yeah, unfortunately, and they really hyped up her returning, which 
even sucked more because <laughs> they're like Sharon Carter. We're doing right by her this time. You know, she didn't get a lot to do in the other movies. And, right. And this one, she's like prominent in two episodes. And outside of that is. Guess who's know, back, everybody. Yeah. She's on call for the other episodes, basically. Pretty much. Literally, she's, she's on not call. actively she, working. Yeah. She gets called once. They might have just called Emily Van Camp at her house. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, can you record this from your living room? I'm recording they probably, this conversation. Remember, remember the show got pushed back because of COVID? It might have been her scenes as to why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just had yeah. her film at home. And I'm I'm almost very curious to see if we get any insight into the COVID effect on the making of episode that's coming out on Friday. It might be interesting. Um, I... I don't know. I mean, it's it's it would be hard to talk about that without like sounding like you're making excuses, but I would be interested in seeing what they have to say on that front or if we ever find out definitively that COVID had a significant impact on the the plot of this and the particularly with the flag smashers. Yeah. Well, I mean, those assembled are have probably been made for months now. And so I mean, we're not going to see their reaction to fans reaction of oh no, no characters no. but yeah i am curious what covid's effect was on this show how much they had to cut or what they had to change i don't think we'll get confirmation of a pandemic related plot Mm-mm. subplot but that that that's pretty fun to speculate on if that was supposed yeah. to be in here i mean we know for a fact they shot i remember they were in the middle of shooting when everything shut down mm-hmm. for the pandemic so we know they shot after the pandemic had started. So I wonder if they do talk a little bit about that. Cause I don't think they did with WandaVision. I think it, it had already wrapped the, no, I think some of it was during COVID. Oh, okay. The, I think the first episode was shot during COVID because I, I vaguely remember seeing cast members wearing masks mm. on set. You might be right on the, um, on the live Assembled. set. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right, but I'm um, I'm interested in seeing it. Um, I throughout this series, I've been moving it around in my rankings. It's still been really hard to place it. I have a feeling eventually we're gonna have to split rankings out into series and films. <laughs> At some point, it, it's hard to. It's really hard to compare them. You it, know, it is to an extent. It's fun though. <laughs> it is to an extent. Um, I think if you think about it from a narrative standpoint it you can compare them but in terms of like structure and time to develop yeah that that's a little it's a little different but you can make the argument that because this had roughly six hours to develop characters that's a fault because we got more character development in guardians of the galaxy in two hours for four or five brand new characters than we did for two or three returning ones who do you mean like sharon and Sharon and uh, I don't want to say Bucky. Um, no, either returning characters or new characters, or yeah. that be Carly the Flag Smasher, even Zemo. I think I think they're. I'll attribute some of it too to still figuring out how to best use these six hours. Yeah, you know, it's it's. There might have been a thought that they didn't limit themselves on the plot lines they put in. You know, mm-hmm. went a little bit, a little bit. I don't know how to say this. Too many moving pieces, I guess. Like I, I get how they all work together and it's, you know, a tough job to try to balance them all. Well, um, I think, I think what's interesting is when we started talking about this show, it was right when Zach, Zach Snyder's Justice League came out mm-hmm. 
and that was four hours. That was a four hour movie. Yeah. Where Joss Whedon's version was only two hours and was far inferior because they it, they couldn't develop char- those characters in two hours. Yep. They couldn't develop Cyborg and they couldn't develop the Flash in two hours. They needed four hours to pad out. Yep. The rest of the world and those two characters' stories. Um, so I find it it'd be a, an interesting case study to do like a, to study characterization between that four hours and the six hours. Yeah. Of, for example, Carly being underdeveloped, Sharon being underdeveloped, and having four hours of DC developing two brand new characters. Mm-hmm. that's an interesting comparison so, like i've been kind of thinking about what does this series look like if they instead made it a two-hour movie you know from from the start not just like take yeah. this and recut it but and and where i've kind of landed is you have sam and bucky kind of um you know we have quick intro scenes for them you have Sam giving the shield back to the government. You have John Walker taking the shield. Mm-hmm. Flag smashers are a sympathetic villain in the first act. Basically mm-hmm. they're the culmination of the first act. That's where you have John Walker kill them. And then John Walker is just full on bad guy. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I think you don't have the room to develop him at all. We don't have room to get a bunch of insight on him. He's just the guy that took the shield that Sam needs to get it back from, you know, See- like there, there's, there's a lot of, um, I don't think the flag smashers continue past like the first act and mm-hmm. John Walker is the main villain for it um, See, as a film. I think, I think you're on the right track. I think personally, I would just take out the flag smashers altogether. If this were a two hour feature film, take out the flag smashers altogether, keep the Isaiah Bradley stuff in there um, and just have it be about, about race in general as opposed to having it be about global domination or global supremacy of any sort um and still have john walker be the villain but still be a sympathetic villain have and the post-credit scene be um be john becoming u.s agent yeah i mean i i can you should still keep zemo i don't know how you do yeah i don't know how you do john walker without the flag smashers or well, the equivalent villain like you have I, you have I think to have would... something for them to i don't think i don't i don't think the flag smashers entire plot should carry through but i think like you know them showing up and you know you have the first their 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 last fight with john walker is their first fight in the third act act right where he he shows his why he shouldn't be captain america then he turns full villain so i, I like i i have them as I... way more of a stepping stone and not okay so integral Okay, yeah. I think so I think we're the same. I think we're aligned. I think if you're if you're saying that, I think what you could do is make the instead of having a core of five or six members of the Flat Smashers, have them have the majority of them just be faceless, nameless individuals, but still have Carly as their leader. The government labels her a terrorist. Sam, not to say agrees with her, but comes to understand her point of view. Once he realizes that she's been labeled a terrorist, John kills her, mm-hmm. and we we somehow. I still think John needs develops in one way or another mm-hmm. to to get his backstory. And I think 
I think it opens up with uh, I feel like we're starting to pitch right now. <laughs> uh, I think it, I think it opens up with a montage of Sam giving over the shield and the um, and the government giving it to John to Johnny Walker. The um, then we start to see the after effects of well, he's unhinged. He's he's dangerous. Uh, he doesn't truly understand what it means. Um, he's using it to kill instead of to apprehend mm-hmm. and he kills Carly who Sam as I mentioned real realizes isn't wrong isn't necessarily a terrorist but is going about things the wrong way that's when you have the conflict between Sam and John and Bucky's yeah. just kind of along for the ride I think <laughs> I, I think I think you do I think you do lose Bucky's development in this yeah as a film yeah yeah yeah, he would he would be strictly sidekick. Maybe you get, I, I think what you get is a few lines of him you saying, get, um, "Bucky talking about regrets he had," and he, maybe he just talks about the the guy he he's been hanging out with a guy who he killed his son in like an emotional talk. You know, he talks about that. Yeah, um, I think you get the their kind of speech after the montage or right before the montage where Sam adopts the shield and they, they talk a little bit about what that means mm-hmm. and then i think you get bucky visiting yori and that's probably about it you don't get any of the therapy scenes you don't know so it, it's an interesting thought experiment like i, I yeah. don't think you can do the same thing with wandavision no but this no, 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 i no. think you could you would lose a lot along the way um mm-hmm. but i think you still could keep the main pieces like you could you could do this trim the fat i would have rather seen you know a, a series with a more fleshed out flag smasher group yeah. And I think you just do that by cutting Sharon Carter, honestly. <laughs> like that that would be enough. Like I don't I didn't think you needed to dedicate that screen time to her. And it's almost like they knew that because they cut her for most of it. Yeah. Like, it almost felt like a mandate, like they have to set something up, so they had to have her in there. It was weird. Or, or it was like they didn't care to develop her. Or integrate her more in the Car- Carly's story. Right. And I Even think that more. if you do that, you probably have to add an episode. Yeah, which I wouldn't have been opposed to if you do it the no. right way. It could have helped a lot, but yeah. it's also, you know, the financial risk. I think. But overall, the show was fine. It had high, very high points, very low points. I think. I think it started off strong and just ended on kind of a weak note. Yeah. In I, general, I could buy that. Yeah, I mean, for me, like where I where I land with it is Sam's story was so strong. Mm-hmm. Like all of the the themes that they hit on with him. Um, I loved Walker's story. I liked what we got of Bucky. I wish we could have gotten more, but I think we we still will. He, I mean, I still think he has some work to do to not want to call himself the Winter Soldier anymore. But I liked his arc here. I liked John Walker's arc. Didn't like Sharon. Didn't care for the Flag Smashers. I kind of liked them as villains, but I just didn't buy the sympathetic aspects. I loved Zemo's involvement. Um, mm-hmm. I know you were a little bit critical of that, but... I think you know he he came in to kill super soldiers. My big thing with them was I didn't want him to betray Sam and Bucky in a very obvious way, and they they didn't let that happen. Bucky caught up with him, so I, I yeah thought- he he served his purpose, but I I just think they could have done something a little more creative with him than just make him want to kill super soldiers. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily have to dupe Sam and Bucky. I think if they would have just tied him in a little more thematically to the, to the story overall, I would have appreciated him a little more rather than somebody who is just there to, to string the plot along. 
and I, I like this about it. <laughs> this isn't a criticism from me, but I think they wanted to kind of reestablish him and give us more insight into him for uh, the eventual Thunderbolts or Dark Avengers. Yeah. Which I, I kind of wonder how that all works, given uh, you know, a question for another day, but like how his bias against super soldiers leads him to work with like powered individuals. Like it could just be a forced mandate, but I think like, part he of almost release. would rather die, right? <laughs> uh, unless there's you know something else with super powered individuals they have to team up to take down and it's kind of like he you know reluctantly teams up with some like john walker but i don't know i liked his involvement i'm curious to see where he pops up next so that just about does it for, for falcon winter soldier then yeah and we have covered our inaugural uh <laughs> series of this podcast we have very exciting yeah so i think so. we have um Next two weeks, we'll have our, our rankings coming. Yeah. We're, since there are so many entries, instead of doing one episode with all 25, I realized I made a mistake. I said 24 a few weeks ago. There are 25, yeah, 25. entries. Yep. Um, so I think I forgot to count far from home again. <laughs> uh, so No, you forgot the Incredible Hulk. Let's be real. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. Easily. <laughs> Who's Ed Norton? Uh, so we... Um, so next week we'll be releasing our like 25 through 13 or 12 yeah, episode we'll probably. And then the week after we'll do our top 12. So stay tuned for all of those. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you have your, if you have your personal rankings, give us your top five on our social media or send an email with your questions or comments. Yeah. You can get our, uh, social media contacts in the show notes for this show or whatever app you're listening to and if you're on uh, apple podcast please leave us a review and a rating um once again we got to get to the top of that sweet sweet algorithm yes please push us to the top <laughs> join us next week for another infinity watchers i'm jared and i'm john and thanks for tuning in see you all next week Steve sucks. <laughs> <laughs>